Chapter thirty eight of the Count of Monte Cristo by Alexandre Dumas. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty eight The Compact. The first words that Albert uttered to his friend on the following morning contained a request that France would accompany him on a visit to the Count. True, the young man had warmly and energetically thanked the Count on the previous evening, but services such as he had rendered could never be too often acknowledged. France, who seemed attracted by some invisible influence towards the Count, in which terror was strangely mingled, felt an extreme reluctance to permit his friend to be exposed alone to the singular fascination that this mysterious personage seemed to exercise over him, and therefore made no objection to Albert's request, but at once accompanied him to the desired spot, and after a short delay the Count joined them in the salon. "'My dear Count,' said Albert, advancing to meet him, "'permit me to repeat the poor thanks I offered last night, "'and to assure you that the remembrance of all I owe to you "'will never be effaced from my memory. "'Believe me, as long as I live, "'I shall never cease to dwell with grateful recollection "'on the prompt and important service you rendered me, "'and also to remember that to you I am indebted even for my life.' "'My dear, a very good friend, and excellent a neighbour,' replied the Count with a smile. "'You really exaggerate my trifling exertions. "'You owe me nothing but some trifle of twenty thousand francs, "'which you have been saved out of your travelling expenses, "'so that there is not much of a score between us. "'But you must really permit me to congratulate you on the ease "'and unconcern with which you resigned yourself to your fate.' and the perfect indifference you manifested as to the turn events might take. "'Upon my word,' said Albert, "'I deserve no credit for what I could not help, namely a determination to take everything as I found it, and to let those bandits see that although men get into troublesome scrapes all over the world, there is no nation but the French that can smile, even in the face of grim death itself.' All that, however, has nothing to do with my obligations to you, and I now come to ask you whether, in my own person, my family, or connections, I can in any way serve you. My father, the Comte de Morcerf, although of Spanish origin, possesses considerable influence both at the court of France and Madrid, and I unhesitatingly place the best services of myself and all to whom my life is dear at your disposal. Monsieur de Morcerf, replied the Count, your offer, far from surprising me, is precisely what I expected from you, and I accept it in the same spirit of hearty sincerity with which it is made. Nay, I will go still further, and say that I had previously made up my mind to ask a great favour at your hands. Oh, pray name it. I am wholly a stranger to Paris. It is a city I have never yet seen. Is it possible, exclaimed Albert, that you have reached your present age without visiting the finest capital in the world? I can scarcely credit it. Nevertheless, it is quite true. Still, I agree with you in thinking that my present ignorance of the first city in Europe is a reproach to me in every way and calls for immediate correction. But, in all probability, I should have performed so important, so necessary a duty, 
as that of making myself acquainted with the wonders and beauties of your justly celebrated capital had i known any person who would have introduced me into the fashionable world but unfortunately i possessed no acquaintance there and of necessity was compelled to abandon the idea so distinguished an individual as yourself cried albert could scarcely have required an introduction you are most kind but as regards myself i can find no merit i possess save that as a millionaire i might have become a partner in the speculations of monsieur aguado and monsieur rothschild but as my motive in travelling to your capital would not have been for the pleasure of dabbling in stocks i stayed away still some favourable chance should present itself of carrying my wish into execution your offer however smooths all difficulties and i have only to ask you my dear monsieur de morcerf these words were accompanied by a most peculiar smile whether you undertake upon my arrival in france to open to me the doors of that fashionable world of which i know no more than a huron or a native of cochin china oh that i do and with infinite pleasure answered albert and so much the more readily as a letter received this morning from my father summons me to paris in consequence of a treaty of marriage my dear france do not smile i beg of you with a family of high standing and connected with the very cream of parisian society connected by marriage you mean said france laughingly well never mind how it is answered albert it comes to the same thing in the end perhaps by the time you return to paris i shall be quite a sober staid father of a family a most edifying representative i shall make of all the domestic virtues don't you think so but as regards your wish to visit our fine city my dear count i can only say that you may command me and mine to any extent you please then it is settled said the count and i give you my solemn assurance that i only waited an opportunity like the present to realize the plans that i have long meditated france did not doubt that these plans were the same concerning which the count had dropped a few words in the grotto of monte cristo and while the count was speaking the young man watched him closely hoping to read something of his purpose in his face but his countenance was inscrutable especially when as in the present case it was veiled in a sphinx-like smile but to tell me now count exclaimed albert delighted at the idea of having to chaperone so distinguished a person as monte cristo tell me truly whether you are in earnest or if this project of visiting paris is merely one of the chimerical and uncertain air castles of which we make so many in the course of our lives but which like a house built on the sand is liable to be blown over by the first puff of wind i pledge you my honour returned the count that i mean to do as i have said both inclination and positive necessity compel me to visit paris when do you propose going thither have you made up your mind when you shall be there yourself certainly in a fortnight or three weeks time that is to say as fast as i can get there nay said the count i will give you three months ere i join you you see i make an ample allowance for all delays and difficulties 
"'And in three months' time,' said Albert, "'you will be at my house. "'Shall we make a positive appointment for a particular day and hour?' inquired the Count. "'Only let me warn you that I am proverbial for my punctilious exactitude in keeping my engagements.' "'Day by day, hour for hour,' said Albert. "'That will suit me to a dot.' "'So be it, then.' replied the count and extending his hand towards a calendar suspended near the chimney-piece he said to-day is the twenty-first of february and drawing out his watch added it is exactly half-past ten o'clock and now promise me to remember this and expect me the twenty-first of may at the same hour in the forenoon capital exclaimed albert your breakfast shall be waiting where do you live Numero vingt-sept, Rue d'Elder. Have you bachelor's apartments there? I hope my coming will not put you to any inconvenience. I reside in my father's house, but occupy a pavilion at the farther side of the courtyard, entirely separated from the main building. Quite sufficient, replied the Count, as taking out his tablets he wrote down, number twenty-seven, Rue d'Elder, twenty-first May, half-past ten in the morning. "'Now then,' said the Count, returning his tablets to his pocket, "'make yourself perfectly easy. "'The hand of your timepiece will not be more accurate in marking the time than myself.' "'Shall I see you again ere my departure?' asked Albert. "'That depends. When do you leave?' "'Tomorrow evening at five o'clock.' "'In that case I must say adieu to you, as I am compelled to go to Naples.' and shall not return hither before saturday evening or sunday morning and you baron pursued the count addressing france do you also depart to-morrow yes for france no for venice i shall remain in italy for another year or two then we shall not meet in paris i fear i shall not have the honour well since we must depart said the count holding out a hand to each of the young men allow me to wish you both a safe and pleasant journey it was the first time the hand of france had come in contact with that of the mysterious individual before him and unconsciously he shuddered at its touch for it felt cold and icy as that of a corpse let us understand each other said albert it is agreed is it not that you are to be at a numero vingt-sept in the rue du Helder, on the twenty-first of may at half-past ten in the morning and your word of honour passed for your punctuality the twenty-first of may at half-past ten in the morning rue du helder number twenty-seven replied the count the young men then rose and bowing to the count quitted the room what is the matter asked albert of france when they had returned to their own apartments you seem more than commonly thoughtful i will confess to you albert replied france the count is a very singular person and the appointment you have made to meet him in paris fills me with a thousand apprehensions my dear fellow exclaimed albert what can there possibly be in that to excite uneasiness why you must have lost your senses whether i am in my senses or not answered france that is the way i feel listen to me france said albert I am glad that the occasion has presented itself for saying this to you, for I have noticed how cold you are in your bearing towards the Count, 
while he on the other hand has always been courtesy itself to us have you anything particular against him possibly did you ever meet him previously to coming hither i have and where will you promise me not to repeat a single word of what i am about to tell you i promise upon your honour upon my honour then listen to me france then related to his friend the history of his excursion to the island of monte cristo and of his finding a party of smugglers there and the two corsican bandits with them he dwelt with considerable force and energy on the almost magical hospitality he had received from the count and the magnificence of his entertainment in the grotto of the thousand and one nights he recounted with circumstantial exactitude all the particulars of the supper the hashish the statues the dream and how at his awakening there remained no proof or trace of all these events save the small yacht seen in the distant horizon driving under full sail toward porto vecchio then he detailed the conversation overheard by him at the Colosseum between the count and vampa in which the count had promised to obtain the release of the bandit pipino an engagement which as our readers are aware he most faithfully fulfilled at last he arrived at the adventure of the preceding night and the embarrassment in which he found himself placed by not having sufficient cash by six or seven hundred piastres to make up the sum required and finally of his application to the count and the picturesque and satisfactory result that followed albert listened with the most profound attention well said he when france had concluded what do you find to object to in all you have related the count is fond of travelling and being rich possesses a vessel of his own go but to portsmouth or southampton and you will find the harbours crowded with the yachts belonging to such of the english as can afford the expense and have the same liking for this amusement now by way of having a resting place during his excursions avoiding the wretched cookery which has been trying its best to poison me during the last four months while you have manfully resisted its effects for as many years and obtaining a bed on which it is possible to slumber monte cristo has furnished for himself a temporary abode where you first found him but to prevent the possibility of the tuscan government taking a fancy to his enchanted palace and thereby depriving him of the advantages naturally expected from so large an outlay of capital he has wisely enough purchased the island and taken its name just ask yourself my good fellow whether there are not many persons of our acquaintance who assume the names of lands and properties they never in their lives were masters of but said france the corsican bandits that were among the crew of his vessel why really the thing seems to me simple enough nobody knows better than yourself that the bandits of corsica are not rogues or thieves but purely and simple fugitives driven by some sinister motive from their native town or village and that their fellowship involves no disgrace or stigma for my own part i protest that should i ever go to corsica my first visit ere even i presented myself to the mayor or prefect should be to the bandits of colomba if i could only manage to find them for on my conscience they are a race of men i admire greatly still persisted france i suppose you will allow that such men as vampa and his band are regular villains who have no other motive than plunder 
when they seize your person how do you explain the influence the count evidently possessed over those ruffians my good friend as in all probability i own my present safety to that influence it would ill become me to search too closely into its source therefore instead of condemning him for his intimacy with outlaws you must give me leave to excuse any little irregularity there may be in such a connection not altogether for preserving my life for my own idea was that it never was in much danger but certainly for saving me four thousand piastres which being translated means neither more nor less than twenty-four thousand livres of our money a sum at which most assuredly i should never have been estimated in france proving most indisputably added albert with a laugh <laughs> that no prophet is honoured in his own country talking of countries replied france of what country is the count what is his native tongue whence does he derive his immense fortune and what were those events of his early life a life as marvellous as unknown that have tinctured his succeeding years with so dark and gloomy a misanthropy certainly these are questions that in your place i should like to have answered my dear france replied albert when upon receipt of my letter you found the necessity of asking the count's assistance you promptly went to him saying my friend albert de morcerf is in danger help me to deliver him was not that nearly what you said it was well then did he ask you who is monsieur albert de morcerf how does he come by his name his fortune what are his means of existence what is his birthplace of what country is he a native tell me did he put all these questions to you i confess he asked me none no he merely came and freed me from the hands of signor vampa where i can assure you in spite of all my outward appearance of ease and unconcern i did not very particularly care to remain now then france when for services so promptly and unhesitatingly rendered he but asks me in return to do for him what is done daily for any russian prince or italian nobleman who may pass through paris merely to introduce him into society would you have me refuse my good fellow you must have lost your senses to think it possible i could act with such cold-blooded policy and this time it must be confessed that contrary to the usual state of affairs in discussions between the young men the effective arguments were all on albert's side well said france with a sigh do as you please my dear viscount for your arguments are beyond my powers of refutation still in spite of all you must admit that this count of monte cristo is a most singular personage he is a philanthropist answered the other and no doubt his motive in visiting paris is to compete for the montyon prize given as you are aware to whoever shall be proved to have most materially advanced the interests of virtue and humanity if my vote and interest can obtain it for him i will readily give him the one and promise the other and now my dear france let us talk of something else come shall we take our luncheon and then pay a last visit to st peter's france silently assented and the following afternoon at half past five o'clock the young men parted albert de morcerf to return to paris 
and Franz d'Epinay to pass a fortnight at Venice. But ere he entered his travelling carriage, Albert, fearing that his expected guest might forget the engagement he had entered into, placed in the care of a waiter at the hotel a card to be delivered to the Count of Monte Cristo, on which, beneath the name of Vicomte Albert de Morcerf, he had written in pencil, 27, Rue du Heller, on the 21st of May, half-past ten a.m. End of chapter 38「Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Chapter 39 of The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexandre Dumas. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 39 The Guests In the house in the Rue du Heller, where Albert had invited the Count of Monte Cristo, everything was being prepared on the morning of the 21st of May to do honour to the occasion. Albert de Morcerf inhabited a pavilion situated at the corner of a large court and directly opposite another building, in which were the servants' apartments. Two windows only of the pavilion faced the street. Three other windows looked into the court, and two at the back into the garden. Between the court and the garden, built in the heavy style of the imperial architecture, was the large and fashionable dwelling of the Count and Countess of Morcerf. A high wall surrounded the whole of the hotel, surmounted at intervals by vases filled with flowers, and broken in the centre by a large gate of gilded iron, which served as the carriage entrance. A small door, close to the lodge of the concierge, gave ingress and egress to the servants and masters when they were on foot. It was easy to discover that the delicate care of a mother, unwilling to part from her son, and yet aware that a young man of the Viscount's age required the full exercise of his liberty, had chosen this habitation for Albert. There were not lacking, however, evidences of what we may call the intelligent egoism of a youth who is charmed with the indolent, careless life of an only son, and who lives, as it were, in a gilded cage. By means of the two windows looking into the street, Albert could see all that passed. The sight of what is going on is necessary to young men, who always want to see the world traverse their horizon, even if that horizon is only a public thoroughfare. Then, should anything appear to merit a more minute examination, Albert de Morcerf could follow up his researches by means of a small gate, similar to that close to the concierge's door, and which merits a particular description. It was a little entrance that seemed never to have been opened since the house was built. So entirely was it covered with dust and dirt, but the well-oiled hinges and the locks told quite another story. This door was a mockery to the concierge, from whose vigilance and jurisdiction it was free, and like that famous portal in the Arabian Nights, opening at the sesame of Ali Baba, it was wont to swing backward at a cabalistic word or a concerted tap from without from the sweetest voices or whitest fingers in the world. At the end of a long corridor, with which the door communicated and which formed the antechamber, 
was on the right albert's breakfast-room looking into the court and on the left the salon looking into the garden shrubs and creeping plants covered the windows and hid from the garden and court these two apartments the only rooms into which as they were on the ground floor the prying eyes of the curious could penetrate on the floor above were similar rooms with the addition of a third formed out of the antechamber these three rooms were a salon a boudoir and a bedroom the salon downstairs was only an algerian divan for the use of smokers the boudoir upstairs communicated with the bedchamber by an invisible door on the staircase it was evident that every precaution had been taken above this floor was a large atelier which had been increased in size by pulling down the partitions a pandemonium in which the artist and the dandy strove for preeminence there were collected and piled up all albert's successive caprices hunting horns bass vials flutes a whole orchestra for albert had had not a taste but a fancy for music easels palettes brushes pencils for music had been succeeded by painting foils boxing gloves broadswords and single sticks for following the example of the fashionable young men of the time albert de morcerf cultivated with far more perseverance than music and drawing the three arts that complete a dandy's education i e fencing boxing and single stick and it was here that he received grisier cook and charles le boucher the rest of the furniture of this privileged apartment consisted of old cabinets filled with chinese porcelain and japanese vases luca della robbia faviens and palissy platters of old armchairs in which perhaps had sat henri the fourth or sully louis thirteenth or richelieu for two of these armchairs adorned with a carved shield on which were engraved the fleur-de-lis of france on an asia field evidently came from the louvre or at least some royal residence over these dark and sombre chairs were thrown splendid stuffs dyed beneath Persia's sun or woven by the fingers of the women of calcutta or of chandanaga what these stuffs did there it was impossible to say they awaited while gratifying the eyes a destination unknown to their owner himself in the meantime they filled the place with their golden and silky reflections in the centre of the room was a roller and blanchet baby grand piano in rosewood but holding the potentialities of an orchestra in its narrow and sonorous cavity and groaning beneath the weight of the chef-d'oeuvre of beethoven weber mozart haydn gretry and popora on the walls over the doors on the ceiling were swords daggers malay creases maces battle-axes gilded damasked and inlaid suits of armour dried plants minerals and stuffed birds their flame-coloured wings outspread in motionless flight and their beaks forever open this was albert's favourite lounging place however the morning of the appointment the young man had established himself in the small salon downstairs there on a table surrounded at some distance by a large and luxurious divan every species of tobacco known from the yellow tobacco of petersburg to the black of sinai and so on along the scale from maryland and puerto rico to latakia was exposed in pots of crackled earthenware of which the dutch are so fond beside them in boxes of fragrant wood were ranged according to their size and quality pueros regalias havanas and manilas and in an open cabinet a collection of german pipes of chibouks 
with their amber mouthpieces ornamented with coral and of narghils with their long tubes of morocco awaiting the caprice or the sympathy of the smokers albert had himself presided at the arrangement or rather the symmetrical derangement which after coffee the guests at a breakfast of modern days love to contemplate through the vapour that escapes from their mouths and descends in long and fanciful wreaths to the ceiling at a quarter to ten a valet entered he composed with a little groom named john and who only spoke english all albert's establishment although the cook of the hotel was always at his service and on great occasions the count's chasseur also this valet whose name was germain and who enjoyed the entire confidence of his young master held in one hand a number of papers and in the other a packet of letters which he gave to albert albert glanced carelessly at the different missives selected two written in a small and delicate hand and enclosed in scented envelopes opened them and perused their contents with some attention how did these letters come said he one by the post madame danglars footman left the other let madame danglars know that i accept the place she offers me in her box wait then during the day tell rosa that when i leave the opera i will sup with her as she wishes take her six bottles of different wine cyprus sherry and malaga and a barrel of ostend oysters get them at borel's and be sure you say they are for me at what o'clock sir do you breakfast what time is it now a quarter to ten very well at half past ten debray will perhaps be obliged to go to the minister and besides albert looked at his tablets it is the hour i told the count twenty-first of may at half past ten and though i do not much rely upon his promise i wish to be punctual is the countess up yet if you wish i will inquire yes ask her for one of her liquor cellarettes mine is incomplete and tell her i shall have the honour of seeing her about three o'clock and that i request a permission to introduce someone to her the valet left the room albert threw himself on the divan tore off the cover of two or three of the papers looked at the theatre announcements made a face seeing they gave an opera and not a ballet hunted vainly amongst the advertisements for a new tooth powder of which he had heard and threw down one after the other the three leading papers of paris muttering these papers become more and more stupid every day a moment after a carriage stopped before the door and the servant announced monsieur lucien de bray a tall young man with light hair clear gray eyes and thin and compressed lips dressed in a blue coat with beautifully carved gold buttons a white neckcloth and a tortoiseshell eyeglass suspended by a silken thread and which by an effort of superciliary and zygomatic muscles he fixed in his eye entered with a half official air without smiling or speaking good morning lucien good morning said albert your punctuality really alarms me what do i say punctuality you whom i expected last you arrive at five minutes to ten when the time fixed was half past has the ministry resigned no my dear fellow returned the young man seating himself on the divan reassure yourself we are tottering always but we never fall and i begin to believe that we shall pass into a state of immobility and then the affairs of the peninsula will completely consolidate us 
Uh, true. You drive Don Carlos out of Spain. No, no, my dear fellow. Do not confound our plans. We take him to the other side of the French frontier and offer him hospitality at Bourges. At Bourges? Yes, he has not much to complain of. Bourges is the capital of Charles Set. Do you not know that old Paris knew it yesterday, and the day before it had already transpired on the bourse? And Monsieur Donglard, I do not know by what means that man contrives to obtain intelligence as soon as we do, made a million. And you another order, for I see you have a blue ribbon at your buttonhole. Yes, they sent me the order of Charles Trois, returned de Bray carelessly. Come. Do not affect indifference, but confess you are pleased to have it. Oh, it is very well as a finish to the toilet. It looks very neat on a black coat buttoned up. And makes you resemble the Prince of Wales or the Duke of Reichstadt. It is for that reason you see me so early. Because you have the order of Charles Trois, and you wish to announce the good news to me? No, because I passed the night writing letters. Five and twenty dispatch. I returned home at daybreak and strove to sleep, but my head ached, and I got up to have a ride for an hour. At the Bois du Bologne, ennui and hunger attacked me at once. Two enemies who rarely accompany each other and who are yet leagued against me, a sort of Carlo Republican alliance. I then recollected you gave a breakfast this morning, and here I am. I am hungry. Feed me. I am bored. Amuse me. It is my duty as your host, returned Albert, ringing the bell, while Lucien turned over with his gold-mounted cane the papers that lay on the table. Germain, a glass of sherry and a biscuit. In the meantime, my dear Lucien, here are cigars, contraband, of course. Try them and persuade the minister to sell us such instead of poisoning us with cabbage leaves. Best. I will do nothing of the kind. The moment they come from gouvernement, you would find them execrable. Besides, that does not concern the home, but the financial department. Address yourself to Monsieur Human, section of the indirect contributions, corridor A, numero 26. On my word, said Albert, you astonish me by the extent of your knowledge. Take a cigar. Really, my dear Albert, replied Lucien, lighting a manila at a rose-coloured taper that burnt in a beautifully enamelled stand. How happy you are to have nothing to do. You do not know your own good fortune. And what would you do, my dear diplomatist, replied Morcerf, with a slight degree of irony in his voice, if you did nothing? What? Private secretary to a minister, plunged at once into European cabals and Parisian intrigue, having kings and better still queens to co protect parties to unite elections to direct making more use of your cabinet with your pen and your telegraph than napoleon did of his battlefields with his sword and his victories possessing five and twenty thousand francs a year besides your place a horse for which chateau renaud offered you four hundred louis and which you would not part with a tailor who never disappoints you with the opera the jockey club and other diversions can you not amuse yourself well i will amuse you how by introducing you to a new acquaintance 
a man or a woman a man i know so many men already but you do not know this man where does he come from the end of the world farther still perhaps the deuce i hope he does not bring our breakfast with him oh no our breakfast comes from my father's kitchen are you angry humiliating as such a confession is i am but i dined at monsieur de villefort's and lawyers always give you very bad dinners you would think they felt some remorse did you ever remark that ah depreciate other persons dinners you ministers give such splendid ones yes but we do not invite people of fashion if we were not forced to entertain a parcel of country boobies because they think and vote with us we should never dream of dining at home i assure you well take another glass of sherry and another biscuit willingly your spanish wine is excellent you see we were quite right to pacify that country yes but uh, don carlos well don carlos will drink bordeaux and in ten years we will marry his son to the little queen you will then obtain the golden fleece if you are still in the ministry i think albert you have adopted the system of feeding me on smoke this morning well you must allow it is the best thing for the stomach but i hear beauchamp in the next room you can dispute together and that will pass away the time about what about the papers my dear friend said lucien with an air of sovereign contempt do i ever read the papers then you will dispute the more monsieur beauchamp announced the servant come in come in said albert rising and advancing to meet the young man here is dubray who detests you without reading you so he says he is quite right returned Vauchamp, for i criticize him without knowing what he does good day commander ah you know all that already said the private secretary smiling and shaking hands with him pardieu and what do they say of it in the world in which world we have so many worlds in the year of grace uh, in the entire political world of which you are one of the leaders they say that it is quite fair and that sowing so much red you ought to reap a little blue come come that is not bad said lucien why do you not join our party my dear beauchamp with your talents you would make your fortune in three or four years i only wait one thing before following your advice that is a minister who will hold office for six months my dear albert one word for i must give poor lucien a respite do we breakfast or dine i must go to the chamber for our life is not an idle one you only breakfast i await two persons and the instant they arrive we shall sit down to table end of chapter thirty nine Chapter Forty of the Count of Monte Cristo by Alexandre Dumas. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Forty, the breakfast. And what sort of persons do you expect to breakfast? Said Beauchamp. A gentleman and a diplomatist. Then we shall have to wait two hours for the gentleman and three for the diplomatist. 
i shall come back to dessert keep me some strawberries coffee and cigars i shall take a cutlet on my way to the chamber do not do anything of the sort for were the gentleman a montmorency and the diplomatist a metanic we will breakfast at eleven in the meantime follow de bray's example and take a glass of sherry and a biscuit be it so I, sh I will stay i must do something to distract my thoughts you are like de bray and yet it seems to me that uh, when the minister is out of spirits the opposition ought to be joyous ah you do not know with what i am threatened i shall hear this morning that monsieur danglars made a speech at the chamber of deputies and at his wife's this evening i shall hear the tragedy of a peer of france the devil take the constitutional government and since we had our choice as they say at least how could we choose that i understand you must lay in a stock of hilarity do not run down monsieur danglars speeches said debray he votes for you for he belongs to the opposition pardieu that is exactly the worst of all i am waiting until you send him to speak at the luxembourg to laugh at my ease my dear friend said albert to beauchamp it is plain that the affairs of spain are settled for you are most desperately out of humour this morning recollect uh, that parisian gossip has spoken of a marriage between myself and mademoiselle Jeannet d'anglars i cannot in conscience therefore let you run down the speeches of a man who will one day say to me vicomte you know i give my daughter two millions ah this marriage will never take place said beauchamp the king has made him a baron and can make him a peer but he cannot make him a gentleman and the count of morcerf is too aristocratic to consent for the paltry sum of two million francs to a mesalliance the viscount of morcerf can only wed a marchioness but two million francs make a nice little sum replied morcerf it is the social capital of a theatre on the boulevard or a railroad from the jardin des plantes de la rapée never mind what he says morcerf said debray do you marry her you marry a money-bag label it is true well but what does it matter it is better to have a blazon less and a figure more on it you have seven martlets on your arms give three to your wife and you will still have four that is one more than monsieur de guise had who so nearly became the king of france and whose cousin was emperor of germany on my word i think you are right lucien said albert absently to be sure besides every millionaire is as noble as a bastard that is he can be do not say that debray returned beauchamp laughing for here is chateau renaud who to cure you of your mania for paradoxes will pass the award of renaud de montauban his ancestor through your body he will sully it then returned lucien for i am low very low oh heavens cried beauchamp the minister quotes beranger what shall we come to next monsieur de chateau renaud monsieur maximilien morel said the servant announcing two fresh guests now then to breakfast said beauchamp for if i remember you told me you only expected two persons albert morel muttered albert morel who is he but before he had finished monsieur de chateau renaud a handsome young man of thirty gentleman all over that is with the figure of a guiche and the wit of a montemart took albert's hand 
my dear albert said he let me introduce you to monsieur maximilian morel captain of safi my friend and what is more however the man speaks for himself my preserver I salute my hero viscount and he stepped on one side to give place to a young man of refined and dignified bearing with large and open brow piercing eyes and black moustache whom our readers have already seen at marseilles under circumstances sufficiently dramatic not to be forgotten a rich uniform half french half oriental set off his graceful and stalwart figure and his broad chest was decorated with the order of the legion of honor the young officer bowed with easy and elegant politeness monsieur said albert with affectionate courtesy the count of chateau renaud knew how much pleasure this introduction would give me you are his friend be ours also well said interrupted chateau renaud and pray that if you should ever be in a similar predicament he may do as much for you as he did for me what has he done asked albert oh nothing worth speaking of said morel monsieur de chateau renaud exaggerates not worth speaking of cried chateau renaud life is not worth speaking of that is rather too philosophical on my word morel it is very well for you who risk your life every day but for me who only did so once we gather from all this baron that captain morel saved your life exactly so on what occasion asked beauchamp beauchamp my good fellow you know i am starving said debray do not set him off on some long story well i do not prevent your sitting down to table replied beauchamp chateau renaud can tell us while we eat our breakfast gentlemen said morcerf it is only a quarter past ten and i expect someone else ah true a diplomatist observed debray diplomat or not i don't know i only know that he charged himself on my account with a mission which he terminated so entirely to my satisfaction that had i been king i should have instantly created him knight of all my orders even had i been able to offer him the golden fleece and the garter well since we are not to sit down to table said debray take a glass of sherry and tell us all about it you all know that i had the fancy of going to africa it is a road your ancestors have traced for you said albert gallantly yes but i doubt that your object was like theirs to rescue the holy sepulchre you are quite right beauchamp observed the young aristocrat it was only to fight as an amateur i cannot bear duelling since two seconds whom i had chosen to arrange an affair forced me to break the arm of one of my best friends one whom you all know poor franz d'epinay ah true said debray you did fight some time ago about what the devil take me if i remember returned chateau renaud but i recollect perfectly one thing that being unwilling to let such talents as mine sleep i wished to try upon the arabs the new pistols that had been given to me in consequence i embarked for oran and went from thence to constantine where i arrived just in time to witness the raising of the siege i retreated with the rest for eight and forty hours i endured the rain during the day and the cold during the night 
tolerably well, and the third morning my horse died of cold. Poor brute! Accustomed to be covered up and to have stove in the stable, the Arabian finds himself unable to bear ten degrees of cold in Arabia. "'That's why you want to purchase my English horse,' said the Bray. "'You think he will bear the cold better?' "'You are mistaken, for I have made a vow never to return to Africa.' "'You were very much frightened, then?' asked Beauchamp. "'Well, yes, and I had good reason to be so,' replied Chateau Renaud. "'I was retreating on foot, for my horse was dead. Six Arabs came up, full gallop, to cut off my head. "'I shot two with my double-barrel gun, and two more with my pistols. "'But I was then disarmed, and two were still left.' One seized me by the hair. That is why I now wear it so short, for no one knows what may happen. The other swung a yatagan, and I already felt the cold steel on my neck, when this gentleman, whom you see here, charged them, shot the one who held me by the hair, and cleft the skull of the other with his sabre. He had assigned himself the task of saving a man's life that day. Chance caused that man to be myself. When I am rich, I will order a statue of chance from Clagman or Marocchetti. Yes, said Morel, smiling. It was the 5th of September, the anniversary of the day on which my father was miraculously preserved. Therefore, as far as it lies in my power, I endeavour to celebrate it by some... Heroic action, interrupted Chateau Renaud. I was chosen, but that is not all. After rescuing me from the sword... He rescued me from the cold, not by sharing his cloak with me like Saint-Martin, but by giving me the whole, then from hunger by sharing with me, guess what? A Strasbourg pie? asked Beauchamp. No, his horse, of which we each of us ate a slice with a hearty appetite. It was very hard. The horse, said Morcerf, laughing. No, the sacrifice, returned Chateau Renaud. Ask Debray if he would sacrifice his English steed for a stranger. Not for a stranger, said Debray, but for a friend I might perhaps. I divined that you would become mine, Count, replied Morel. Besides, as I had the honour to tell you, heroism or not, sacrifice or not, that day I owed an offering to bad fortune in recompense for the favours good fortune had on other days granted to us. The history to which Monsieur Morel alludes, continued Chateau Renaud, is an admirable one, which he will tell you some day when you are better acquainted with him. Today let us fill our stomachs and not our memories. What time do you breakfast, Albert? At half past ten. Precisely, asked Debray, taking out his watch. Oh, you will give me five minutes' grace, replied Morcerf, for I also expect a preserver. "'Of whom?' "'Of myself,' cried Morcerf. "'Parbleu, do you think I cannot be saved as well as anyone else, "'and that there are only Arabs who cut off heads? "'Our breakfast is a philanthropic one, "'and we shall have at table, at least, I hope, "'so two benefactors of humanity.' "'What shall we do?' said Debray. "'We have only one Montheon prize.' "'Well, it will be given to someone who has done nothing to deserve it,' said Beauchamp. "'That is the way the Academy mostly escapes from the dilemma.' "'And where does he come from?' asked Debray. 
you have already answered the question once but so vaguely that i venture to put it a second time really said albert i do not know when i invited him three months ago he was then at rome but since that time who knows where he may have gone and you think him capable of being exact demanded debray i think him capable of everything well with the five minutes grace we have only ten left i will profit by them to tell you something about my guest i beg your pardon interrupted beauchamp are there any materials for an article in what you are going to tell us yes and for a most curious one go on then for i see i shall not get to the chamber this morning and i must make up for it i was at rome during the last carnival we know that said beauchamp yes but what you do not know is that i was carried off by bandits there are no bandits cried debray yes there are and most hideous or rather most admirable ones for i found them ugly enough to frighten me come my dear albert said debray confess that your cook is behind hand that the oysters have not arrived from ostend or marraine and that like madame de montenon you are going to replace a dish by a story say so at once we are sufficiently well-bred to excuse you and to listen to your history fabulous as it promises to be and i say to you fabulous as it may seem i tell it as a true one from the beginning to the end the brigands had carried me off and conducted me to a gloomy spot called the catacombs of saint sebastian i know it said chateau renaud i narrowly escaped catching a fever there and i did more than that replied morcerf for i caught one i was informed that i was prisoner until i paid the sum of four thousand roman crowns about twenty-four thousand francs unfortunately i had not above fifteen hundred i was at the end of my journey and of my credit i wrote to france and were he here he would confirm every word i wrote then to france that if he did not come with the four thousand crowns before six at ten minutes past i should have gone to join the blessed saints and glorious martyrs in whose company i had the honour of being and signor luigi vampa such was the name of the chief of these bandits would have scrupulously kept his word but france did come with the four thousand crowns said chateau renaud a man whose name is france d'epinay or albert de morcerf has not much difficulty in procuring them no he arrived accompanied simply by the guest i am going to present to you ah this gentleman is a hercules killing cacou a perseus freeing andromeda no he is a man about my own size armed to the teeth he had not even a knitting needle but he paid your ransom he said two words to the chief and i was free and they apologized to him for having carried you off said beauchamp just so why he is a second ariosto no his name is the count of monte cristo there is no count of monte cristo said debray i do not think so added chateau renaud with the air of a man who knows the whole of the european nobility perfectly does anyone know of anything of a count of monte cristo 
he comes possibly from the holy land and one of his ancestors possessed calvary as the montmartre did the dead sea i think i can assist your researches said maximilian monte cristo is a little island i have often heard spoken of by the old sailors of my father employed a grain of sand in the centre of the mediterranean an atom in the infinite precisely cried albert well he of whom i speak is the lord and master of this grain of sand of this atom he has purchased the title of count somewhere in tuscany he is rich then i believe so but that ought to be visible that is what deceives you debray i do not understand you have you read the arabian nights what a question well do you know if the persons you see there are rich or poor if their sacks of wheat are not rubies or diamonds they seem like poor fishermen and suddenly they open some mysterious cavern filled with the wealth of the indies which means which means that my count of monte cristo is one of those fishermen he has even a name taken from the book since he calls himself sinbad the sailor and as a cave filled with gold and you have seen this cavern morcerf asked beauchamp no but france has for heaven's sake not a word of this before him france went in with his eyes blindfolded and was waited on by mutes and by women to whom cleopatra was a painted strumpet only he is not quite sure about the women for they did not come until after he had taken hashish so that what he took for women might have been simply a row of statues the two young men looked at morcerf as if to say are you mad or are you laughing at us and i also said morel thoughtfully have heard something like this from an old sailor named penelon ah cried albert it is very lucky that monsieur morel comes to aid me you are vexed are you not that he thus gives a clue to the labyrinth my dear albert said debray what you tell us is so extraordinary ah because your ambassadors and your consuls do not tell you of them they have no time they are too much taken up with interfering in the affairs of their countrymen who travel how you get angry and attack our poor agents how will you have them protect you the chamber cuts down their salaries every day so that now they have scarcely any will you be ambassador albert i will send you to constantinople no lest on the first demonstration i make in favour of mehmet ali the sultan send me the bowstring and makes my secretary strangle me you say very true responded debray yes said albert but this has nothing to do with the existence of the count of monte cristo pardieu everyone exists doubtless but not in the same way every one has not black slaves a princely retinue an arsenal of weapons that would do credit to an arabian fortress horses that cost six thousand francs apiece and greek mistresses have you seen the greek mistress i have both seen and heard her i saw her at the theatre and heard her one morning when i breakfasted with the count he eats then yes but so little it can hardly be called eating he must be a vampire laugh if you will the countess g who knew lord ruthven declared that the count was a vampire ah capital said beauchamp 
for a man not connected with newspapers here is the pendant to the famous sea serpent of the constitutionnel wild eyes the iris of which contracts or dilates at pleasure said debray facial angle strongly developed magnificent forehead livid complexion black beard sharp and white teeth politeness unexceptionable just so lucien returned morcerf you have described him feature for feature yes keen and cutting politeness this man has often made me shudder and one day that we were viewing an execution i thought i should faint more from hearing the cold and calm manner in which he spoke of every description of torture than from the sight of the executioner and the culprit did he not conduct you to the ruins of the coliseum and suck your blood asked beauchamp or having delivered you make you sign a flaming parchment surrendering your soul to him as esau did his birthright rail on rail on at your ease gentlemen said morcerf somewhat piqued when i look at you parisian idler on the boulevard de grand or the bois de boulogne and think of this man it seems to me we are not of the same race i am highly flattered returned beauchamp at the same time added chateau renaud your count of monte cristo is a very fine fellow always accepting his little arrangements with the italian banditti there are no italian banditti said debray no vampire cried beauchamp no count of monte cristo added debray there is half past ten striking albert confess you have dreamed this and let us sit down to breakfast continued beauchamp but the sound of the clock had not died away when germain announced his excellency the count of monte cristo the involuntary start everyone gave proved how much morcerf's narrative had impressed them and albert himself could not wholly refrain from manifesting sudden emotion he had not heard a carriage stop in the street or steps in the antechamber the door had itself opened noiselessly the count appeared dressed with the greatest simplicity but the most fastidious dandy could have found nothing to cavil at in his toilet every article of dress hat coat gloves and boots was from the first makers he seemed scarcely five-and-thirty but what struck everybody was his extreme resemblance to the portrait debray had drawn the count advanced smiling into the centre of the room and approached albert who hastened towards him holding out his hand in a ceremonial manner punctuality said monte cristo is the politeness of kings according to one of your sovereigns i think but it is not the same with travellers however i hope you will excuse the two or three seconds i am behindhand five hundred leagues are not to be accomplished without some trouble and especially in france where it seems it is forbidden to beat the postilions my dear count replied albert i was announcing your visit to some of my friends whom i had invited in consequence of the promise you did me the honour to make and whom i now present to you they are the count of chateau renaud whose nobility goes back to the twelve peers and whose ancestors had a place at the brown table monsieur lucien de bray private secretary to the minister of the interior monsieur beauchamp an editor of a paper and the terror of the french gouvernement 
but of whom in spite of his national celebrity you perhaps have not heard in italy since his paper is prohibited there and monsieur maximilian morel captain of Safie. at this name the count who had hitherto saluted every one with courtesy but at the same time with coldness and formality stepped a pace forward and a slight tinge of red coloured his pale cheeks you wear the uniform of the new french conquerors monsieur said he it is a handsome uniform no one could have said what caused the count's voice to vibrate so deeply and what made his eye flash which was in general so clear lustrous and limpid when he pleased you have never seen our africans count said albert never replied the count who was by this time perfectly master of himself again well beneath this uniform beats one of the bravest and noblest arts in the whole army oh monsieur de morcerf interrupted morel let me go on captain and we have just heard continued albert of a new deed of his and so heroic a one that although i have seen him to-day for the first time i request you to allow me to introduce him as my friend at these words it was still possible to observe in monte cristo the concentrated look changing colour and slight trembling of the eyelid that show emotion ah you have a noble heart said the count so much the better this exclamation which corresponded to the count's own thought rather than to what albert was saying surprised everybody and especially morel who looked at monte cristo with wonder but at the same time the intonation was so soft that however strange the speech might seem it was impossible to be offended at it why should he doubt it said beauchamp to chateau renaud in reality replied the latter who with his aristocratic glance and his knowledge of the world had penetrated at once all that was penetrable in monte cristo albert has not deceived us for the count is a most singular being what say you morel ma foi he has an open look about him that pleases me in spite of the singular remark he has made about me gentlemen said albert germain informs me that breakfast is ready my dear count allow me to show you the way they passed silently into the breakfast room and every one took his place gentlemen said the count seating himself permit me to make a confession which must form my excuse for any improprieties i may commit i am a stranger and a stranger to such a degree that this is the first time i have ever been at paris the french way of living is utterly unknown to me and up to the present time i have followed the eastern customs which are entirely in contrast to the parisian i beg you therefore to excuse if you find anything in me too turkish too italian or too arabian now then let us breakfast with what an air he says all this muttered beauchamp decidedly he is a great man a great man in his own country added debray a great man in every country monsieur debray said chateau renaud the count was it may be remembered a most temperate guest albert remarked this expressing his fears lest at the outset the parisian mode of life should displease the traveller in the most essential point my dear count said he i fear one thing and that is that the fear of the rue du helder 
is not so much to your taste as that of the piazza di spagni i ought to have consulted you on the point and have had some dishes prepared expressly did you know me better returned the count smiling you would not give one thought of such a thing for a traveller like myself who has successfully lived on macaroni at naples polenta at milan or la podrida at valencia pilau at constantinople carrick in india and swallow's nests in china i eat everywhere and of everything only i eat but little and to-day that you reproach me with my want of appetite is my day of appetite for i have not eaten since yesterday morning what cried all the guests you have not eaten for four-and-twenty hours no replied the count i was forced to go out of my road to obtain some information near nimes so that i was somewhat late and therefore i did not choose to stop and you ate in your carriage asked morcerf no i slept as i generally do when i am weary without having the courage to amuse myself or when i am hungry without feeling inclined to eat but you can sleep when you please monsieur said morel yes you have a recipe for it an infallible one that would be invaluable to us in africa who have not always any food to eat and rarely anything to drink yes said monte cristo but unfortunately a recipe excellent for a man like myself would be very dangerous applied to an army which might not awake when it was needed may we inquire what is this recipe asked debray oh yes returned monte cristo i make no secret of it it is a mixture of excellent opium which i fetched myself from canton in order to have it pure and the best hashish which grows in the east that is between the tigris and the euphrates these two ingredients are mixed in equal proportions and formed into pills ten minutes after one is taken the effect is produced asked baron franz d'epinay i think he tasted them one day yes replied morcerf he said something about it to me but said beauchamp who as became a journalist was very incredulous you always carries this drug about you always would it be an indiscretion to ask to see these precious pills continued beauchamp hoping to take him at a disadvantage no monsieur returned the count and he drew from his pocket a marvellous casket formed out of a single emerald and closed by a golden lid which unscrewed and gave passage to a small greenish coloured pellet about the size of a pea this ball had an acrid and penetrating odour there were four or five more in the emerald which would contain about a dozen the casket passed around the table but it was more to examine the admirable emerald than to see the pills that it passed from hand to hand and is it your cook who prepares these pills asked beauchamp oh no monsieur replied monte cristo i do not thus betray my enjoyments to the vulgar i am a tolerable chemist and prepare my pills myself this is a magnificent emerald and the largest i have ever seen said chateau renaud although my mother has some remarkable family jewels i had three similar ones returned monte cristo i gave one to the sultan who mounted it in his sabre another to our holy father the pope who had it set in his tiara opposite to one nearly as large though not so fine given by the emperor napoleon to his predecessor pius seventh i kept the third for myself 
and i had it hollowed out which reduced its value but rendered it more commodious for the purpose i intended everyone looked at monte cristo with astonishment he spoke with so much simplicity that it was evident he spoke the truth or that he was mad however the sight of the emerald made them naturally inclined to the former belief and what did these two uh, sovereigns give you in exchange for these magnificent presents asked debray the sultan the liberty of a woman replied the count the pope the life of a man so that once in my life i have been as powerful as if heaven had brought me into the world on the steps of a throne and it was peppino you saved was it not cried morcerf it was for him that you obtained pardon perhaps returned the count smiling my dear count you have no idea what pleasure it gives me to hear you speak thus said morcerf i had announced you beforehand to my friends as an enchanter of the arabian nights a wizard of the middle ages but the parisians are so subtle in paradox that they mistake for caprice of the imagination the most incontestable truths when these truths do not form a part of their daily existence for example here is debray who reads and beauchamp who prints every day a member of the jockey club has been stopped and robbed on the boulevard four persons have been assassinated in the rue saint denis or the faubourg saint germain ten fifteen or twenty thieves have been arrested in a cafe on the boulevard du temple or in the therme de julien and yet these same men deny the existence of the bandits in the maremma the campagna di romana or the pontine marshes tell him yourself and i was taken by bandits and that without your generous intercession i should now have been sleeping in the catacombs of san sebastian instead of receiving them in my humble abode in the rue du helder ah said monte cristo you promised me never to mention that circumstance it was not i who made that promise cried morcerf it must have been someone else whom you have rescued in the same manner and whom you have forgotten pray speak of it for i shall not only i trust relate the little i do know but also a great deal i do not know it seems to me returned the count smiling that you played a sufficiently important part to know as well as myself what happened well you promise me if i tell all i know to relate in your turn all that i do not know that is but fair replied monte cristo well said morcerf for three days i believed myself the object of the attentions of a mask whom i took for a descendant of tulia or popea while i was simply the object of the attentions of a contadina and i say contadina to avoid saying peasant girl what i know is that like a fool a greater fool than he of whom i spoke just now i mistook this for a peasant girl a young bandit of fifteen or sixteen with beardless chin and slim waist and who just as i was about to imprint a chaste salute on his lips placed a pistol to my head and aided by seven or eight others led or rather dragged me to the catacombs of san sebastian where i found a highly educated brigand chief perusing caesar's commentaries and who deigned to leave off reading to inform me that unless the next morning before six o'clock four thousand piastres were paid into his account at his bankers at a quarter past six i should have ceased to exist the letter is still to be seen for it is in france d'epinay's possession 
signed by me and with a postscript of Monsieur Luigi Vampa. This is all I know. But I know not, Count, how you contrive to inspire so much respect in the bandits of Rome, who ordinarily have so little respect for anything. I assure you, France and I were lost in admiration. Nothing more simple, returned the Count. I had known the famous Vampa for more than ten years. When he was quite a child and only a shepherd, I gave him a few gold pieces for showing me my way, and he, in order to repay me, gave me a poniard, the hilt of which he had carved with his own hand, and which you may have seen in my collection of arms. In after years, whether he had forgotten this interchange of presents, which ought to have cemented our friendship, or whether he did not recollect me, he sought to take me, but on the contrary it was I who captured him and a dozen of his band. I might have handed him over to Roman justice, which is somewhat expeditious, and which would have been particularly so with him, but I did nothing of the sort. I suffered him and his band to depart. "'With the condition that they should sin no more,' said Beauchamp, laughing, "'I see they kept their promise.' "'No, monsieur,' returned Monte Cristo, "'upon the simple condition that they should respect myself and my friends. "'Perhaps what I am about to say may seem strange to you, "'who are socialists and vaunt humanity and your duty to your neighbour, "'but I never seek to protect a society which does not protect me, "'and which I will even say generally occupies itself about me only to injure me, "'and thus by giving them a low place in my esteem, "'and preserving a neutrality towards them.' It is society and my neighbour who are indebted to me. "'Bravo!' cried Chateau Renaud. "'You are the first man I have ever met, sufficiently courageous to preach egotism. Bravo, Count, bravo!' "'It is frank at least,' said Morel. "'But I am sure that the Count does not regret having once deviated from the principles he has so boldly avowed.' "'How have I deviated from those principles, monsieur?' asked Monte Cristo who could not help looking at Morel with so much intensity that two or three times the young man had been unable to sustain that clear and piercing glance. "'Why, it seems to me,' replied Morel, "'that in delivering Monsieur de Morcerf, whom you did not know, you did good to your neighbour and to society.' "'Of which he is the brightest ornament,' said Beauchamp, drinking off a glass of champagne. "'My dear Count,' cried Morcerf, you are at fault you one of the most formidable logicians i know and you must see it clearly proved that instead of being an egotist you are a philanthropist ah you call yourself oriental a levantine maltese indian chinese your family name is monte cristo sinbad the sailor is your baptismal appellation and yet the first day you set foot in paris you instinctively display the greatest virtue or rather the chief defect of us eccentric parisian that is you assume the views you have not and conceal the virtues you possess my dear vicomte returned monte cristo i do not see in all i have done anything that merits either from you or these gentlemen the pretended eulogies i have received you are no stranger to me for i knew you from the time i gave up two rooms to you invited you to breakfast with me lent you one of my carriages witnessed the carnival in your company 
and saw with you from a window in the piazza del popolo the execution that affected you so much that you nearly fainted i will appeal to any of these gentlemen could i leave my guest in the hands of a hideous bandit as you term him besides you know i had the idea that you would introduce me into some of the paris salons when i came to france you might some time ago have looked upon this resolution as a vague project but to-day you see it was a reality and you must submit to it under penalty of breaking your word i will keep it returned morcerf but i fear that you will be much disappointed accustomed as you are to picturesque events and fantastic horizons amongst us you will not meet with any of these episodes with which your adventurous existence has so familiarized you our chimborazo is montmartre our himalaya is mount valerian our great desert is the plain of grenelle where they are now boring an artesian well to water the caravans we have plenty of thieves though not so many as is said but these thieves stand in far more dread of a policeman than a lord france is so prosaic and paris so civilized a city that you will not find in its eighty-five department i say eighty-five because i do not include corsica you will not find then in these eighty-five departments a single hill on which there is not a telegraph or a grotto in which the commissary of police has not put up a gas lamp there is but one service i can render you and for that i place myself entirely at your orders that is to present or make my friends present you everywhere besides you have no need of any one to introduce you with your name and your fortune and your talent monte cristo bowed with a somewhat ironical smile you can present yourself everywhere and be well received i can be useful in one way only if knowledge of parisian habits of the means of rendering yourself comfortable or of the bazaars can assist you may depend upon me to find you a fitting dwelling here i do not dare offer to share my apartments with you as i shared yours at rome i who do not profess egotism but am yet egotist par excellence for except myself these rooms would not hold a shadow more unless that shadow were uh, feminine ah said the count that is a most conjugal reservation i recollect that at rome you said something of a projected marriage may i congratulate you the affair is still in projection and he who says in projection means already decided said debray no replied morcerf my father is most anxious about it and i hope he long to introduce you if not to my wife at least to my betrothed mademoiselle eugenie d'anglars eugenie d'anglars said monte cristo tell me is not her father baron d'anglars yes returned morcerf a baron of a new creation what matter said monte cristo if he has rendered the state services which merit his distinction enormous ones answered beauchamp although in reality a liberal he negotiated a loan of six millions for charles x in eighteen twenty nine who made him a baron and chevalier of the legion of honour so that he wears the ribbon not as you would think in his waistcoat pocket but at his buttonhole ah interrupted morcerf laughing beauchamp beauchamp 
keep that for the corsair or the chiaravari but spare my future father-in-law before me then turning to monte cristo you just now spoke his name as if you knew the baron i do not know him returned monte cristo but i shall probably soon make his acquaintance for i have a credit open with him by the house of richard and blount of london arstein and eskels of vienna and thompson and french at rome as he pronounced the two last names the count glanced at maximilian morel if the stranger expected to produce an effect on morel he was not mistaken maximilian started as if he had been electrified thompson and french said he do you know this house monsieur they are my bankers in the capital of the christian world returned the count quietly can my influence with them be of any service to you oh count you could assist me perhaps in researches which have been up to the present fruitless this house in past years did ours a great service and has i know not for what reason always denied having rendered us this service i shall be at your orders said monte cristo bowing but continued morcerf a propos of danglars we have strangely wandered from the subject we were speaking of a suitable habitation for the count of monte cristo come gentlemen let us all propose some place where shall we lodge this new guest in our great capital faubourg saint germain said chateau renaud the count will find them a charming hotel with a court and a garden bah chateau renaud returned debray you only know your dull and gloomy faubourg saint germain do not pay any attention to him count live in the chaussee d'antin that's the real centre of paris boulevard de l'opera said beauchamp the second floor a house with a balcony the count will have his cushions of silver cloth brought here there and as he smokes his jibouk see all paris pass before him you have no idea then morel asked chateau renaud you do not propose anything oh yes returned the young man smiling on the contrary i have one but i expected the count would be tempted by one of the brilliant proposals made him yet as he has not replied to any of them i will venture to offer him a suite of apartments in a charming hotel in the pompadour style that my sister has inhabited for a year in the rue meslay you have a sister asked the count yes monsieur a most excellent sister married nearly nine years happy asked the count again as happy as it is permitted to a human creature to be replied maximilian she married the man she loved who remained faithful to us in our fallen fortunes emmanuel herbeau monte cristo smiled imperceptibly i live there during my leave of absence continued maximilian and i shall be together with my brother-in-law emmanuel at the disposition of the count whenever he thinks fit to honor us one minute cried albert without giving monte cristo the time to reply take care you are going to immure a traveller simbad the sailor a man who comes to see paris you are going to make a patriarch of him oh no said morel my sister is five-and-twenty my brother-in-law is thirty they are gay young and happy besides the count will be in his own house and only see them when he thinks fit to do so thanks monsieur said monte cristo i shall content myself with being presented to your sister and her husband if you will do me the honour to introduce me but i cannot accept the offer of any one of these gentlemen 
since my habitation is already prepared what cried morcerf you are then going to an hotel that will be very dull for you was i so badly lodged at rome said monte cristo smiling parbleu at rome you spent fifty thousand piastres in furnishing your apartments but i presume that you are not disposed to spend a similar sum every day it is not that which deterred me replied monte cristo but as i determined to have a house to myself i sent on my valet de chambre and he ought by this time to have bought the house and furnished it but you have then a valet de chambre who knows paris said beauchamp it is the first time he has ever been in paris he is black and cannot speak returned monte cristo it is ali cried albert in the midst of the general surprise yes ali himself my nubian mute whom you saw i think at rome certainly said morcerf i recollect him perfectly but how could you charge a nubian to purchase a house and a mute to furnish it he would do everything wrong undeceiver yourself monsieur replied monte cristo i am quite sure that on the contrary he will choose everything as i wish he knows my tastes my caprice my wants he has been here a week with the instinct of a hound hunting by himself he will arrange everything for me he knew that i should arrive to-day at ten o'clock he was waiting for me at nine at the barriere de fontainebleau he gave me this paper it contains the number of my new abode read it yourself and monte cristo passed a paper to albert ah that is really original said beauchamp and very princely added chateau renaud what do you not know your house asked debray no said monte cristo i told you i do not wish to be behind my time i dressed myself in the carriage and descended at the viscount's door the young men looked at each other they did not know if it was a comedy monte cristo was playing but every word he uttered had such an air of simplicity that it was impossible to suppose what he said was false besides why should he tell a falsehood we must content ourselves then said beauchamp with rendering the count all the little service in our power i in my quality of journalist open all the theatres to him thanks monsieur returned monte cristo my steward has orders to take a box at each theatre is your steward also a nubian asked debray no he is a countryman of yours if a corsican is a countryman of anyone's but you know him monsieur de Montcerf. is it that excellent monsieur bertuccio who understands hiring windows so well yes you saw him the day i had the honour of receiving you he has been a soldier a smuggler in fact everything i would not be quite sure that he has not been mixed up with the police for some trifle a stab with a knife for instance and you have chosen this honest citizen for your steward said debray of how much does he rob you every year on my word replied the count not more than another i am sure he answers my purpose knows no impossibility and so i keep him then continued chateau renaud since you have an establishment a steward and a hotel in the champs elysees you only want a mistress albert smiled he thought of the fair greek he had seen in the count's box at the argentina and val theatres i have something better than that said monte cristo 
i have a slave you procure your mistresses from the opera the vaudeville or the variety i purchased mine at constantinople it cost me more but i have nothing to fear don't you forget replied debray laughing that we are francs by name and francs by nature as king charles said and that the moment she puts her boot in france your slave becomes free who will tell her the first person who sees her she only speaks romaic that is different but at least we shall see her said beauchamp or do you keep eunuchs as well as mutes oh no replied monte cristo i do not carry brutalism so far every one who surrounds me is free to quit me and when they leave me will no longer have any need of me or anyone else it is for that reason perhaps that they do not quit me they have long since passed to dessert and cigars my dear albert said debray rising it is half past two your guest is charming but you leave the best company to go into the worst sometimes i must return to the ministers i will tell him of the count and we shall soon know of who he is take care returned albert no one has been able to accomplish that oh we have three millions for our police it is true they are almost always spent beforehand but no matter we shall still have fifty thousand francs to spend for this purpose and when you know will you tell me i promise you au revoir albert gentlemen good morning as he left the room debray called out loudly my carriage bravo said beauchamp to albert i shall not go to the chamber but i have something better to offer my readers than a speech of monsieur danglars for heaven's sake beauchamp returned morcerf do not deprive me of the merit of introducing him everywhere is he not peculiar he is more than that replied chateau renaud he is one of the most extraordinary men i ever saw in my life are you coming morel directly i have given my card to the count who has promised to pay us a visit at rue melee numero quatorze be sure i shall not fail to do so returned the count bowing and maximilian morel left the room with the baron de chateau renaud leaving monte cristo alone with morcerf End of chapter 40When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Chapter 41 of The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexandre Dumas. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 41 The Presentation. When Albert found himself alone with Monte Cristo, My dear Count, said he, allow me to commence my services as cicerone by showing you a specimen of a bachelor's apartment. You who are accustomed to the palaces of Italy, can amuse yourself by calculating in how many square feet a young man who is not the worst lodged in paris can live 
as we pass from one room to another i will open the windows to let you breathe monte cristo had already seen the breakfast room and the salon on the ground floor albert led him first to his atelier which was as we have said his favorite apartment monte cristo quickly appreciated all that albert had collected here old cabinets japanese porcelain oriental stuffs venetian glass arms from all parts of the world everything was familiar to him and at first glance he recognized their date their country and their origin Morcerf had expected he should be the guide on the contrary it was he who under the count's guidance followed a course of archaeology mineralogy and natural history they descended to the first floor albert led his guest into the salon the salon was filled with the works of modern artists there were landscapes by dupre with their long reeds and tall trees their lowing oxen and marvellous skies de la croix arabian cavaliers with their long white burnouses their shining belts their damasked arms their horses who tore each other with their teeth while their riders contended fiercely with their maces aquarelle of boulanger representing notre dame de paris with that vigour that makes the artist the rival of the poet there were paintings by diaz who makes his flowers more beautiful than flowers his sons more brilliant than the sun designs by de camp as vividly coloured as those of salvator rosa but more poetic pastels by giraud and muller representing children like angels and women with the features of a virgin sketches torn from the album of dozat's travels in the east that had been made in a few seconds on the saddle of a camel or beneath the dome of a mosque in a word all that modern art can give in exchange and as recompense for the art lost and gone with ages long since past albert expected to have something new this time to show to the traveller but to his great surprise the latter without seeking for the signatures many of which indeed were only initials named instantly the author of every picture in such a manner that it was easy to see that each name was not only known to him but that each style associated with it had been appreciated and studied by him from the salon they passed into the bedchamber it was a model of taste and simple elegance a single portrait signed by leopold robert shone in its carved and gilded frame this portrait attracted the count of monte cristo's attention for he made three rapid steps in the chamber and stopped suddenly before it it was the portrait of a young woman of five or six and twenty with a dark complexion and light and lustrous eyes veiled beneath long lashes she wore the picturesque costume of the catalan fisherwoman a red and black bodice and golden pins in her hair she was looking at the sea and her form was outlined on the blue ocean and sky the light was so faint in the room that albert did not perceive the pallor that spread itself over the count's visage or the nervous heaving of his chest and shoulders silence prevailed for an instant during which monte cristo gazed intently on the picture you have there a most charming mistress viscount said the count in a perfectly calm tone and this costume a ball costume doubtless becomes her admirably ah monsieur returned albert i would never forgive you this mistake if you had seen another picture besides this you do not know my mother she it is whom you see here she had her portrait painted thus six or eight years ago 
This costume is a fancy one, it appears, and the resemblance is so great that I think I shall see my mother the same as she was in 1830. The countess had this portrait painted during the count's absence. She doubtless intended giving him an agreeable surprise, but, strange to say, this portrait seemed to displease my father, and the value of the picture, which is, as you see, one of the best works of Leopold Robert, could not overcome his dislike to it. It is true, between ourselves, that Monsieur de Morcerf is one of the most assiduous peers at Luxembourg, a general renowned for theory, but a most mediocre amateur of art. It is different with my mother, who paints exceedingly well, and who, unwilling to part with so valuable a picture, gave it to me to put here, where it would be less likely to displease Monsieur de Morcerf, whose portrait, by Gros, I will also show you. Excuse my talking of family matters, but as I shall have the honour of introducing you to the Count, I tell you this to prevent you making any allusions to this picture. The picture seems to have a malign influence, for my mother rarely comes here without looking at it, and still more rarely does she look at it without weeping. This disagreement is the only one that has ever taken place between the Count and Countess, who are still as much united, although married more than twenty years, as on the first day of their wedding. Monte Cristo glanced rapidly at Albert, as if to seek a hidden meaning in his words, but it was evident the young man uttered them in the simplicity of his heart. Now, said Albert, that you have seen all my treasures, allow me to offer them to you, unworthy as they are. Consider yourself as in your own house, and to put yourself still more at your ease, pray accompany me to the apartments of Monsieur de Morcerf, he whom I wrote from Rome an account of the services you rendered me, and to whom I announced your promised visit. And I may say that both the Count and Countess anxiously desire to thank you in person. You are somewhat blasé, I know, and family scenes have not much effect on Sinbad the sailor, who has seen so many others. However, accept what I propose to you as an initiation into Parisian life, a life of politeness, visiting and introductions. Monte Cristo bowed without making any answer. He accepted the offer without enthusiasm and without regret, as one of those conventions of society which every gentleman looks upon as a duty. Albert summoned his servant and ordered him to acquaint Monsieur and Madame de Morcerf of the arrival of the Count of Monte Cristo. Albert followed him with the Count. When they arrived at the antechamber above the door was visible a shield, which by its rich ornaments and its harmony with the rest of the furniture indicated the importance the owner attached to this blason. Monte Cristo stopped and examined it attentively. Asia seven merlets, or placed bender, said he, these are doubtless your family arms, except the knowledge of blasons that enables me to decipher them. I am very ignorant of heraldry. I, a count of a fresh creation, fabricated in Tuscany by the aid of a commandery of St. Stephen, and who would not have taken the trouble, had I not been told, that when you travel much it is necessary. Besides, you must have something on the panels of your carriage to escape being searched by the custom-house offices. Excuse my putting such a question to you. It is not indiscreet, returned Morcerf, with the simplicity of conviction. 
you have guessed rightly these are our arms that is those of my father but they are as you see joined to another shield which has a jules a silver tower which are my mother's by her side i am spanish but the family of morcerf is french and i have heard one of the oldest of the south of france yes replied monte cristo these blasons approve of that almost all the armed pilgrims that went to the holy land took for their arms either a cross in honour of their mission or birds of passage in sign of the long voyage they were about to undertake and which they hoped to accomplish on the wings of faith one of your ancestors had joined the crusades and supposing it to be only that of saint louis that makes you mount to the thirteenth century which is tolerably ancient it is possible said morcerf my father has in his study a genealogical tree which will tell you all that and on which i made commentaries that would have greatly edified osier and jocourt at present i no longer think of it and yet i must tell you that we are beginning to occupy ourselves greatly with these things under our popular government well then your government would do well to choose from the past something better than the things that i have noticed on your monuments and which have no heraldic meaning whatever as for you viscount continued monte cristo to morcerf you are more fortunate than the government for your arms are really beautiful and speak to the imagination yes you are at once from provence and spain that explains if the portrait you showed me be like the dark hue i so much admired on the visage of the noble catalan it would have required the penetration of oedipus or the sphinx to have divined the irony the count concealed beneath these words apparently uttered with the greatest politeness morcerf thanked him with a smile and pushed open the door above which were his arms and which as we have said opened into the salon in the most conspicuous part of the salon was another portrait it was that of a man from five to eight and thirty in the uniform of a general officer wearing the double epaulette of heavy bullion that indicates superior rank the ribbon of the legion of honor around his neck which showed he was a commander and on the right breast the star of a grand officer of the order of the saviour and on the left that of the grand cross of charles III, which proved that the person represented by the picture had served in the wars of greece and spain or what was just the same thing as regarded decorations had fulfilled some diplomatic mission in the two countries monte cristo was engaged in examining this portrait with no less care than he had bestowed upon the other when another door opened and he found himself opposite to the count of morcerf in person he was a man of forty to forty-five years but he seemed at least fifty and his black moustache and eyebrows contrasted strangely with his almost white hair which was cut short in the military fashion he was dressed in plain clothes and wore at his buttonhole the ribbons of the different orders to which he belonged he entered with a tolerably dignified step and some little haste monte cristo saw him advance towards him without making a single step it seemed as if his feet were rooted to the ground and his eyes on the count of morcerf father said the young man i have the honor of presenting to you the count of monte cristo the generous friend whom i had the good fortune to meet in the critical situation of which i have told you you are most welcome monsieur said the count of morcerf saluting monte cristo with a smile and monsieur 
has rendered our house in preserving its only heir, a service which ensures him our eternal gratitude. As he said these words, the Count of Morcerf pointed to a chair, while he seated himself in another opposite the window. Monte Cristo, in taking the seat Morcerf offered him, placed himself in such a manner as to remain concealed in the shadow of the large velvet curtains, and read on the careworn and livid features of the Count a whole history of secret griefs written in each wrinkle time had planted there. The Countess, said Morcerf, was at her toilet when she was informed of the visit she was about to receive. She will, however, be in the salon in ten minutes. It is a great honour to me, returned Monte Cristo, to be thus on the first day of my arrival in Paris, brought in contact with a man whose merit equals his reputation, and to whom fortune has for once been equitable. But has she not still on the plains of Metige, or in the mountains of Atlas, a martial staff to offer you? Oh, replied Morcerf, reddening slightly, I have left the service, monsieur, made a peer at the restoration. I served through the first campaign under the orders of Marshal Bourmont. I could, therefore, expect a higher rank, and who knows what might have happened had the elder branch remained on the throne. But the revolution of July was, it seems sufficiently glorious, to allow itself to be ungrateful, and it was so for all services that did not date from the imperial period. I tendered my resignation, for when you have gained your epaulets on the battlefield, you do not know how to manoeuvre on the slippery grounds of the salon. I have hung up my sword and cast myself into politics. I have devoted myself to industry. I study the useful arts. During the twenty years I served, I often wished to do so, but I had not the time. These are the ideas that render your nation superior to any other, returned Monte Cristo. A gentleman of high birth, possessor of an ample fortune. You have consented to gain your promotion as an obscure soldier, step by step. This is uncommon. Then become general, peer of France, commander of the Legion of Honour. You consent to again commence a second apprenticeship, without any other hope of any other desire than that of one day becoming useful to your fellow creatures. This indeed is praiseworthy, nay, more, it is sublime. Albert looked on and listened with astonishment. He was not used to see Monte Cristo give vent to such bursts of enthusiasm. "'Alas!' continued the stranger, doubtless to dispel the slight cloud that covered Morcerf's brow. "'We do not act thus in Italy. We grow according to our race and our species, and we pursue the same lines, and often the same uselessness, all our lives.' "'But, monsieur,' said the Count of Morcerf, "'for a man of your merit—' Italy is not a country, and France opens her arms to receive you. Respond to her call. France will not, perhaps, be always ungrateful. She treats her children ill, but she always welcomes strangers. Ah, father, said Albert with a smile, it is evident you do not know the Count of Monte Cristo. 
He despises all honours, and contents himself with those written on his passport. "'That is the most just remark,' replied the stranger, "'I have ever heard made concerning myself.' "'You have been free to choose your courier,' observed the Count of Morcerf with a sigh, "'and you have chosen the path strewed with flowers.' "'Precisely, monsieur,' replied Monte Cristo with one of those smiles that a painter could never represent or a physiologist analyse.' "'If I did not fear to fatigue you,' said the general, evidently charmed with the Count's manners, "'I would have taken you to the chamber. There is a debate very curious to those who are strangers to our modern senators.' "'I shall be most grateful, monsieur, if you will at some future time renew your offer. But I have been flattered with the hope of being introduced to the Countess, and I will therefore wait.' "'Ah, here is my mother,' cried the Viscount. Monte Cristo turned round hastily, and saw Madame de Morcerf at the entrance of the salon, at the door opposite to that by which her husband had entered, pale and motionless. When Monte Cristo turned around, she let fall her arm, which for some unknown reason had been resting on the gilded doorpost. She had been there some moments, and had heard the last words of the visitor. The latter rose and bowed to the countess, who inclined herself without speaking. "'Ah, good heavens, madame,' said the count, "'are you ill, or is it the heat of the room that affects you?' "'Are you ill, mother?' cried the viscount, springing towards her. She thanked them both with a smile. "'No,' returned she, "'but I feel some emotion on seeing for the first time the man without whose intervention we should have been in tears and desolation monsieur continued the countess advancing with the majesty of a queen i owe to you the life of my son and for this i bless you now i thank you for the pleasure you give me in thus affording me the opportunity of thanking you as i have blessed you from the bottom of my heart the count bowed again but lower than before he was even paler than mercedes "'Madame,' said he, "'the Count and yourself recompense too generously a simple action. "'To save a man, to spare a father's feelings, or a mother's sensibility, "'is not to do a good action, but a simple deed of humanity.' "'At these words, uttered with the most exquisite sweetness and politeness, "'Madame de Morcerf replied, "'It is very fortunate for my son, monsieur,' that he found such a friend and i thank god that things are thus and mercedes raised her fine eyes to heaven with so fervent an expression of gratitude that the count fancied he saw tears in them monsieur de morcerf approached her madame said he i have already made my excuses to the count for quitting him and i pray you to do so also the sitting commences at two it is now three, and I am to speak. Go then, and monsieur and I will strive our best to forget your absence, replied the countess, with the same tone of deep feeling. Monsieur, continued she, turning to Monte Cristo, will you do us the honour of passing the rest of the day with us? Believe me, madame, I feel most grateful for your kindness, but i go out of my travelling carriage at your door this morning 
and i am ignorant how i am installed in paris which i scarcely know this is but a trifling inquietude i know but one that may be appreciated we shall have the pleasure another time said the countess you promise that monte cristo inclined himself without answering but the gesture might pass for assent i will not detain you monsieur continued the countess i would not have our gratitude become indiscreet or importunate my dear count said albert i will endeavour to return your politeness at rome and place my coupe at your disposal until your own be ready a thousand thanks for your kindness viscount returned the count of monte cristo but i suppose that monsieur bertuccio has suitably employed the four hours and a half i have given him and that i shall find a carriage of some sort ready at the door albert was used to the count's manner of proceeding he knew that like nero he was in search of the impossible and nothing astonished him but wishing to judge with his own eyes how far the count's orders had been executed he accompanied him to the door of the house monte cristo was not deceived as soon as he appeared in the count of morcerf's antechamber a footman the same who at rome had brought the count's card to the two young men and announced his visit sprang into the vestibule and when he arrived at the door the illustrious traveller found his carriage awaiting him it was a coupe of collars building and with horses and harness for which drake had to the knowledge of all the lions of paris refused on the previous day seven hundred guineas monsieur said the count to albert i do not ask you to accompany me to my house as i can only show you a habitation fitted up in a hurry and i have as you know a reputation to keep as regards not being taken by surprise give me therefore one more day before i invite you i shall then be certain not to fall in my hospitality if you ask me for a day count i know what to anticipate it will not be a house i shall see but a palace you have decidedly some genius at your control ma foi spread that idea replied the count of monte cristo putting his foot on the velvet-lined steps of his splendid carriage and that will be worth something to me among the ladies as he spoke he sprang into the vehicle the door was closed but not so rapidly that monte cristo failed to perceive the almost imperceptible movement which stirred the curtains of the apartment in which he had left madame de morcerf when albert returned to his mother he found her in the boudoir reclining in a large velvet armchair the whole room so obscure that only the shining spangle fastened here and there to the drapery and the angles of the gilded frames of the pictures showed with some degree of brightness in the gloom albert could not see the face of the countess as it was covered with a thin veil she had put on her head and which fell over her features in misty folds but it seemed to him as though her voice had altered he could distinguish amid the perfumes of the roses and the heliotropes in the flower stands the sharp and fragrant odor of volatile salts and he noticed in one of the chaste cups on the mantelpiece the countess's smelling bottle taken from its chagrin case and exclaimed in a tone of uneasiness as he entered my dear mother have you been ill during my absence no no albert but you know these roses tuberoses and orange flowers throw out first before one is used to them such violent perfumes 
then my dear mother said albert putting his hand to the bell they must be taken into the antechamber you are really ill and just now were so pale as you came into the room was i pale albert yes a pallor that suits you admirably mother but which did not the less alarm my father and myself did your father speak of it inquired mercedes eagerly no madame but do you not remember that he spoke of the fact to you yes i do remember replied the countess a servant entered summoned by albert's ring of the bell take these flowers into the anteroom or dressing-room said the viscount they make the countess ill the footman obeyed his orders a long pause ensued which lasted until all the flowers were removed what is this name of monte cristo inquired the countess when the servant had taken away the last vase of flowers is it a family name or the name of the estate or a simple title i believe mother it is merely our title the count purchased an island in the tuscan archipelago and as he told you to-day has founded a commandery you know the same thing was done for saint stephen of florence saint georges constantinian of parma and even for the order of malta except this he has no pretension to nobility and calls himself a chance count although the general opinion at rome is that the count is a man of very high distinction his manners are admirable said the countess at least as far as i could judge in the few minutes he remained there they are perfect mother so perfect that they surpass by far all i have known in the leading aristocracy of the three proudest nobilities of europe the english the spanish and the german the countess paused a moment then after a slight hesitation she resumed you have seen my dear albert i ask the question as a mother you have seen monsieur de monte cristo in his house you are quick-sighted have much knowledge of the world more tact than is usual at your age do you think the count is really what he appears to be what does he appear to be why you have just said a man of high distinction i told you my dear mother he was esteemed such but what is your opinion albert i must tell you that i have not come to any decided opinion respecting him but i think him a maltese i do not ask you of his origin but what he is ah what he is that is quite another thing i have seen so many remarkable things in him that if you would have me really say what i think i shall reply that i really do look upon him as one of byron's heroes whom misery has marked with a fatal brand some manfred some lara some werner one of those wrecks as it were of some ancient family who disinherited of their patrimony have achieved one by the force of their adventurous genius which has placed them above the laws of societe you say i say that monte cristo is an island in the midst of mediterranean without inhabitants or garrison the resort of smugglers of all nations and pirates of every flag who knows whether or not these industrious worthies do not pay to their feudal lord some dues for his protection that is possible said the countess reflecting never mind continued the young man smuggler or not you must agree mother dear 
as you have seen him that the count of monte cristo is a remarkable man who will have the greatest success in the salons of paris why this very morning in my rooms he made his entree amongst us by striking every man of us with amazement not even excepting chateau renaud and what do you suppose is the count's age inquired mercedes evidently attaching great importance to this question thirty-five or thirty-six mother so young it is impossible said mercedes replying at the same time to what albert said as well as to her own private reflection it is the truth however three or four times he has said to me and certainly without the slightest premeditation at such a period i was five years old at another ten years old at another twelve and i induced by curiosity which kept me alive to these details have compared the dates and never found him inaccurate the age of this singular man who is of no age is then i am certain thirty-five besides mother remark how vivid his eye how raven black his hair and his brow though so pale is free from wrinkles he is not only vigorous but also young the countess bent her head as if beneath a heavy wave of bitter thoughts and has this man displayed a friendship for you albert she asked with a nervous shudder i am inclined to think so and do you like him why he pleases me in spite of france d'epinay who tries to convince me that he is a being returned from the other world the countess shuddered albert she said in a voice which was altered by emotion i have always put on you your guard against new acquaintances now you are a man and are able to give me advice yet i repeat to you albert be prudent why my dear mother it is necessary in order to make your advice turn to account that i should know beforehand what i have to distrust the count never plays he only drinks pure water tinged with a little sherry and is so rich that he cannot without intending to laugh at me try to borrow money what then have i to fear from him you are right said the countess and my fears are weakness especially when directed against a man who has saved your life how did your father receive him albert it is necessary that we should be more than complaisant to the count monsieur de morcerf is sometimes occupied his business makes him reflective and he might without intending it nothing could be in better taste than my father's demeanour madame said albert nay more he is seemingly greatly flattered at two or three compliments which the count very skilfully and agreeably paid him with as much ease as if he had known him these thirty years each of these little tickling arrows must have pleased my father added albert with a laugh and thus they parted the best possible friends and monsieur de morcerf even wished to take him to the chamber to hear the speakers the countess made no reply she fell into so deep a reverie that her eyes gradually closed the young man standing up before her gazed upon her with that filial affection which is so tender and endearing with children whose mothers are still young and handsome then after seeing her eyes closed and hearing her breathe gently he believed she had dropped asleep and left the apartment on tiptoe 
closing the door after him with the utmost precaution. "'This devil of a fellow,' he uttered, shaking his head. "'I said at the time you would create a sensation here, and I measure his effect by an infallible thermometer. My mother has noticed him, and he must therefore perforce be remarkable.' He went down to the stables, not without some slight annoyance, when he remembered that the Count of Monte Cristo had laid his hands on a turnout, which sent his bays down to second place in the opinion of connoisseurs. "'Most decidedly,' said he, "'men are not equal, and I must beg my father to develop this theorem in the chamber of peers.'" End of chapter 41《Chapter 42 of the Count of Monte Cristo by Alexandre Dumas. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 42 Monsieur Bertuccio. Meanwhile, the Count had arrived at his house. It had taken him six minutes to perform the distance. But these six minutes were sufficient to induce twenty young men, who knew the price of the equipage they had been unable to purchase themselves, to put their horses in a gallop in order to see the rich foreigner who could afford to give twenty thousand francs apiece for his horses the house ali had chosen and which was to serve as a town residence to monte cristo was situated on the right hand as you ascend the champs elysees a thick clump of trees and shrubs rose in the centre and masked a portion of the front around this shrubbery two alleys like two arms extended right and left and formed a carriage drive from the iron gates to a double portico on every step of which stood a porcelain vase filled with flowers this house isolated from the rest had besides the main entrance another in the rue fontieu even before the coachman had hailed the concierge the massy gates rolled on their hinges they had seen the count coming and at paris as everywhere else he was served with a rapidity of lightning the coachman entered and traversed the half-circle without slackening his speed, and the gates were closed, ere the wheels had ceased to sound on the gravel. The carriage stopped at the left side of the portico. Two men presented themselves at the carriage window. The one was Ali, who, smiling with an expression of the most sincere joy, seemed amply repaid by a mere look from Monte Cristo. The other bowed respectfully, and offered his arm to assist the Count in descending thanks monsieur bertuccio said the count springing lightly up the three steps of the portico and the notary he is in the small salon excellency returned bertuccio and the cards i ordered to be engraved as soon as you knew the number of the house your excellency it is done already i have been myself to the best engraver of the palais royal who did the plate in my presence the first card struck off was taken, according to your orders, to the Baron d'Anglars, Rue de la Chaussée d'Autin, numero 7. The others are on the mantelpiece of your Excellency's bedroom. Good. What o'clock is it? Four o'clock. Monte Cristo gave his hat, cane, and gloves to the same French footman who had called his carriage at the Count of Morcerf's, and then he passed into the small salon preceded by bertuccio who showed him the way these are but indifferent marbles in this antechamber said monte cristo i trust all this will soon be taken away bertuccio bowed as the steward had said 
the notary awaited him in the small salon he was a simple-looking lawyer's clerk elevated to the extraordinary dignity of a provincial scrivener you are the notary empowered to sell the country house that i wish to purchase monsieur asked monte cristo yes count returned the notary is the deed of sale ready yes count have you bought it here it is very well and where is this house that i purchase asked the count carelessly addressing himself half to bertuccio half to the notary the steward made a gesture that signified i do not know the notary looked at the count with astonishment what said he does not the count know where the house he purchased is situated no returned the count the count does not know how should i know i have arrived from cadiz this morning i have never before been at paris and it is the first time i have ever set foot in france ah this is different the house you purchased is at auteuil at these words bertuccio turned pale and where is auteuil asked the count close by here monsieur replied the notary a little beyond passy a charming situation in the heart of the bois de boulogne so near as that said the count but that is not in the country what made you choose a house at the gates of paris monsieur bertuccio i cried the steward with a strange expression his excellency did not charge me to purchase this house if his excellency will recollect if he will think ah true observed monte cristo i recollect now i read the advertisement in one of the papers and was tempted by the false title a country house it is not yet too late cried bertuccio eagerly and if your excellency will entrust me with the commission i will find you a better at enkin or fontenay or rose or at bellevue oh no returned monte cristo negligently since i have this i will keep it and you are quite right said the notary who feared to lose his fee it is a charming place well supplied with spring water and fine trees a comfortable habitation although abandoned for a long time without reckoning the furniture which although old is yet valuable now that old things are so much sought after i suppose the count has the tastes of the day to be sure returned monte cristo it is very convenient then it is more it is magnificent peste let us not lose such an opportunity returned monte cristo the deed if you please mr notary and he signed it rapidly after having first run his eye over that part of the deed in which were specified the situation of the house and the names of the proprietors bertuccio said he give fifty-five thousand francs to monsieur the steward left the room with a faltering step and returned with a bundle of banknotes which the notary counted like a man who never gives a receipt for money until after he is sure it is all there and now demanded the count are all the forms complied with all sir have you the keys they are in the hands of the concierge who takes care of the house but here is the order i have given him to install the count in his new possession very well said monte cristo made a sign with his hand to the notary which said 
I have no further need of you. You may go. But, observed the honest notary, the count is, I think, mistaken. It is only fifty thousand francs, everything included. And your fee is included in the sum. But have you not come from Auteuil here? Yes, certainly. Well, then, it is but fair that you should be paid for your loss of time and trouble, said the count, and he made a gesture of polite dismissal. The notary left the room backwards, and bowing down to the ground, it was the first time he had ever met a similar client. "'See this gentleman out,' said the Count de Bertuccio, and the steward followed the notary out of the room. Scarcely was the Count alone, when he drew from his pocket a book closed with a lock, and opened it with a key which he wore round his neck, and which never left him. After having sought for a few minutes, he stopped at a leaf which had several notes, and compared them with the date deed of sale which lay on the table. Auteuil, Rue de la Fontaine, numéro vingt-huit. It is indeed the same, said he. And now, am I to rely upon an avowal extorted by religious or physical terror? However, in an hour I shall know all, Bertuccio, cried he, striking a light hammer with a pliant handle on a small gong. Bertuccio! The steward appeared at the door. Monsieur Bertuccio, said the Count, did you never tell me that you had travelled in France? In some parts of France, yes, Excellency. You know the environs of Paris, then? No, Excellency, no, returned the steward with a sort of nervous trembling which Monte Cristo, a connoisseur in all emotions, rightly attributed to great disquietude. "'It is unfortunate,' returned he, "'that you have never visited the environs, "'for I wish to see my new property this evening, "'and had you gone with me, "'you could have given me some useful information.' "'To Auteuil,' cried Bertuccio, "'whose copper complexion became livid. "'I, I go to Auteuil?' "'Well, what is there surprising in that? "'When I live at Auteuil, "'you must come there as you belong to my service.' Bertuccio hung down his head before the imperious look of his master, and remained motionless, without making any answer. "'Why, what has happened to you? Are you going to make me ring a second time for the carriage?' asked Monte Cristo in the same tone that Louis XIV pronounced the famous, "'I have been almost obliged to wait.' Bertuccio made but one bound to the antechamber, and cried in a hoarse voice, his excellency's horses monte cristo wrote two or three notes and as he sealed the last the steward appeared your excellency's carriage is at the door said he well take your hat and gloves returned monte cristo am i to accompany you your excellency cried bertuccio certainly you must give the orders for i intend residing at the house it was unexampled for a servant of the Count's to dare to dispute an order of his. So the steward, without saying a word, followed his master, who got into the carriage, and signed to him to follow, which he did, taking his place respectfully on the front seat. End of chapter 42